0: Please, congregation, turn your Bibles in the first place this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we just sang the words of Psalm 8, infant lips thou dost ordain wrath and vengeance to restrain, weakest means to fill thy will, mighty enemies to still. And that psalm is speaking of the infant, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's that birth that we want to consider this morning and in the coming weeks together as we approach the Advent season, we're going to consider the mothers of Christ and we're going to begin with Mother Eve and we're going to do that through the lens of what we read here in First Timothy 2. We'll read verses 8 through 3, 1a, but our focus will be verses 15 and verse 1 of chapter 3. 1 Timothy 2 at verse 8, the apostle says, "...I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works." Let's turn also to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we'll read verse 1 through verse 24 of chapter 5. In the coming weeks, we'll be looking particularly at the mothers listed by name in Matthew's genealogy. Uh, Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, and of course, Mother Mary, but I thought we might begin with Mother Eve, whom Adam called the mother of all living. For here we discover that she and we will be saved through the birth of a child. Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, this also is God's holy word. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, Eve his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the very outset of our Scripture reading in Genesis chapter 4, it would seem as though Adam and Eve's hopes were high. For although they had been banished from the garden, God had not sent them away empty-handed, had He? But rather, just before they were sent away east of Eden, God gave them clothes to wear to cover their nakedness and shame. And not only that, but you also recall that when God sent them away, they also went away holding in their hands, as it were, the promise. The Genesis 3.15 promise that a day would come when the seed of the woman would undo all that Adam and Eve had done, when the seed of the woman would come to crush the head of the serpent. And so Eve's hopes were high when she conceived and gave birth to her first son, calling him Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Perhaps this was the one whom God had spoken of in Genesis 3.15. Perhaps this child, Cain, would crush the serpent's head. After the birth of Cain, they were given Another son, Abel, a little brother for Cain. And so although the the world they now live in has been thrown into sin and misery, things don't at first glance appear to be so bad after all. For although Adam and Eve are sinners, although they deserve nothing, God is still enabling them to do what they were made to do. He is still enabling them to produce and multiply, to, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And so Abel, we read, was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And then we discover in verse 3 that despite the effects of the curse now now infiltrating their world, God is still being worshipped. Each brother brings his sacrifice before the Lord, and so things at first glance do not appear to be so bad after all. But then we come to verse 4 where we discover that everything is not as it seems. For although Cain and Abel have both offered up their sacrifices to the Lord, the Lord has regarded Abel in his offering, but He has not regarded Cain in his offering. And do notice the, the twofold regard. The Lord has had regard not just for Abel's offering, but for Abel himself. And the Lord has disregarded not only Cain's offering, but He has disregarded Cain himself. And so already here in verses 4 and 5, we see that there is a a division in the family. Here is the the curse at work. Here is the antithesis causing that that division between the seed of the woman and, and the seed of the serpent. One brother has found favor in the sight of God and the other has not. One brother truly loves God, whereas the other brother holds a grudge against God. For the author of Hebrews tells us that it was by faith that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. The Lord regarded Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And so we see that Eve's children are divided. Abel has brought his offering to God in faith, but Cain, we discover, has not. And for this reason, God has not accepted his offering. And yet, rather than Cain repenting before God and humbling himself before the face of God as as he should do, what do we read instead at the end of verse 5? So, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Boys and girls, Cain was not just angry at his brother Abel, but Cain was very angry at God himself. Cain was angry at God because Cain Did not love God. And the the narrator tells us here that his disdain for God was written all over his face. He was very angry at God and his face fell. Reminded of those words of our Lord in Luke chapter 6, where he says that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, but the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And what lives in Cain's heart is hatred. What lives in Cain's heart is unrighteous anger. And you can see that on his face. Eve's children are divided. And so even after God graciously pursues Cain in verses 6 and 7, as he had graciously pursued his first parents in the garden, Cain only hardens his heart all the more. In his grace, the Lord came to Cain and said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why has your face fallen? If, If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, then sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you to rule over you, but you must rule over it." This congregation is exactly what Cain needed to hear. This is precisely what all of us here need to hear and how gracious God is to to tell us. How gracious God is to come to us even now in the preaching of His Word and to say, beware, sin is, is crouching at the door. The imagery is similar to that, which we find in 1 Peter 5, where we're told that our chief adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he he may devour. Like a lion crouching in the tall grass, ready to lunge forward to consume his prey, so to hear sin is crouching at the door of Cain's heart, ready to Rule over him, ready to consume him with unrighteous rage. How gracious God was to warn Cain. How gracious he is to warn us. Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. This is exactly what Cain needed to hear. But in his hardness of heart, Cain refuses to listen. He refuses to take heed of God's gracious warning. And so rather than turning towards the Lord in repentance and faith, he runs further away from the Lord and allows sin to have its way with him. And so we read the devastating words in verses 8 and following. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain hated Abel because his brother's deeds were righteous, and Cain's deeds were evil, as we heard from 1 John chapter 3. And so the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Cain said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Only two children in, and already there has been a murder in the family. And now Abel lies dead on the ground. And Eve's high hopes for Cain lie dead in the water. In Genesis 3, 20, we're told that the the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, but now the mother of all living has become the mother of the deceased. Her firstborn son, at whose birth she cried out with joy, I have received a man from the help of the Lord. Her firstborn son has killed her second-born son. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, death now reigns. The power of sin and death, we discover here, is strong. Her hopes were so high. Perhaps Cain would have been the one to crush the serpent's head, but at last Cain has given in to the serpent's temptations just as they had done. Eve's children are divided. And so in verse 16, Cain leaves the presence of the Lord and he continues in his life of sin and rebellion. In verse 17, he builds a city and names it after his son. And this not only underscores something of the the pride that continues to live in his heart, but also the pride that lives in the heart of all men everywhere. Rather than Seeking his security in the Lord, Cain, like his descendants after him, and like our world today, is going to seek security in the strength of the city. Echoes of which reverberate throughout the Old Testament. Think the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, or the rebuilding of Jericho in First Kings 16, or, or think of Nebuchadnezzar serving how mighty Babylon is in Daniel chapter 4. Man's trust is in the city. And so, St. Augustine rightly observed that Cain was the firstborn, but he belonged to the city of man. After him was Abel, who belonged to the city of God. And so, in quick succession, the city of man begins to develop as the narrator, speeds down Cain's genealogy to the seventh generation before stopping at Lamech, whose Family, says one writer, reveals both the height of development of culture as well as the depth of sin in the human race. In virtue, we could call God's common grace, even the city of man, in some respects, begins to thrive. And we see that highlight in verses 18 to 22, the, the developments that are made in agriculture and the arts and in industry. But last, we should think that all is well. Lest we should think that humanism can make man safe and secure and prosperous, what does the narrator do? He zooms in on Lamech, the seventh from Adam, to show us the power of sin and how that power now runs its course to the full, that in this city of so much development and progress, man does not seek the face of the Lord. He does not submit to the will of the Lord. And so we see that Lamech, he, he breaks God's creation order and, and marriage, taking for himself not one wife but two. He has, he has no regard for life, killing a man for wounding him and boasting in that. It sounds a lot like our world today. Such is the city of man. In the course of time we know that the song of Lamech became the song of the land. The world of order that God created was thrown in a disorder. Justice is now determined by might makes right and God's world of peace we see in the city of man is now a world filled with violence without restraint. Only seven generations from Adam, writes one pastor, a complete number of generations, and sin has come to full fruition. Human beings boast about their power to defend themselves. They don't need God, and they don't need His law. They themselves will decide what is good and what is evil. They can be gods unto themselves. Only seven generations, and humanity has disintegrated from a world where God was worshipped and adored to a world where humans think they can live without God altogether. And yet the story of humanity does not end here with Lamech, does it? By the grace of God, the story of Lamech is not the end of the story of humanity. For what do we read in verse 25? And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. By the grace of God, all was not lost in the death of Abel. But where sin increased, the grace of God abounded all the more. For in the midst of the darkness and despair of human death and depravity, in verse 25, God's grace breaks through. God's grace is is breaking through in keeping with the mother promise of Genesis 3.15. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth, meaning seed. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, another seed, instead of Abel. And so in this confession of Mother Eve congregation, we have an expression of her her faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For although all would have seemed to have been lost in the death of Abel, by the Lord's sovereign and saving appointment, she has given birth to another son, calling his name Seth, meaning seed. Notice the particular language of verse 25. It doesn't read that, Adam, that Eve simply fell pregnant, but rather by the appointment of the Lord. By the Lord's sovereign appointment, she has given birth to another. Calvin comments on Eve's hopeful confession when he says, So we have Seth with this name because he was given by God so that the gap created by Abel's death might be filled. In short, by naming this child Seth, meaning seed, it is as if Adam and Eve were saying that God was reestablishing what had been undone in the person of Abel. For from the line of Seth is going to come the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood, the author of Hebrews tells us, will speak a far better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried out to God from the ground. The blood of Abel cried out for justice. It cried out for vengeance that the Lord would repay. Abel's blood screamed, everything in this world is utterly broken. Nothing in this world is the way it was meant to be. But the blood of Jesus, the greater seed, is going to speak a more encouraging word. Namely, that word of salvation, that word of justification, that word of, of mediation. That word that assures us that we have been made right with God as we hear more about this afternoon. And I believe it is this particular child whom the Apostle Paul has in view in 1 Timothy 2.15 when he says, the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, yet she, that is Eve, shall be saved through childbearing. For Paul is not speaking here about all women being somehow saved through childbearing in, in a general way, but rather the language here is entirely in the singular. For Adam and Eve's hope was grounded in this reality that salvation would come through childbirth, and not just through childbirth in general, for what hope was there in murderous Cain and murderous Abel? But rather, salvation would come through a particular childbirth, through the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, who throughout Paul's letters is set forth as the answer, the only solution to the mess and misery of our sin. And this is why We read through 1 Timothy 3, verse 1a. Because although in our ESV Bibles, the trustworthy saying is tied to the aspiration of church office, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that that phrase properly belongs to the end of chapter 2.15. For although the aspiration of church office is indeed a desirable thing, in every other instance throughout Paul's pastoral epistles, His trustworthy sayings are always tied directly to gospel realities, to what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 1.15, for example, the trustworthy saying is that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 9 to 10, the trustworthy saying refers to the living God being the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 10 and 11, the trustworthy saying refers to obtaining salvation in Jesus Christ with eternal glory, assuring us that if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. In Titus 3, verses 7 and 8, the trustworthy saying refers to our being justified by God's grace in order that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so it seems far more likely and reasonable that this is Paul's aim here in 1 Timothy chapter 2. For having alluded to the creation of man, Adam was made first and then Eve. And then to the fall of man, Eve became a transgressor. He then speaks of the redemption in verse 15. yet she, that is Eve, will be saved through childbearing if they, that is Adam and Eve, Continue in love and holiness with self-control. The saying is trustworthy. This was Eve's hope and confidence when Adam knew her again and she gave birth to a son and called his name Seth, saying, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. This was Eve's hope. This was her confidence. That God was going to keep that promise to send the seed of the woman into the world. Here in verse 25 says one writer, the point of the narrative now becomes clear. In the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, God is faithful in continuing the line of the seed of the woman. Satan thought he had won the day. In Genesis chapter 4, when Cain killed Abel, God's righteous servant, verse 25 shows us that in this great battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, God is faithful to continue and preserve that line of the seed of the woman. This is precisely what we see in verses 26 and following into Genesis chapter 5. For Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In the line of Cain, we see rich cultural developments for sure. But all those developments are taking place in the hopeless context of people who think that they are strong in themselves. All those developments take place in this context in which the sons of Cain say, we don't need God, we don't need His law. We will not live for God. But in the line of the seed of the woman we discover a people who recognize that they are not strong, but who recognize that they are weak. Abel's name literally means Breath, And such are we that as we heard last week in Psalm 144, we recognize that man is like a breath, that his days are like a passing shadow. In the line of the seed of the woman, we discover a people who may be weak, but in the midst of their weakness, they are a people who call upon the name of the Lord. In the midst of their weakness and human frailty, they find strength in the Lord. In the midst of their weakness and frailty, in the midst of this world of sin and misery, they, they seek the face of the Lord and they, and they call upon His name. As one writer has put it, Cain's firstborn and successors pioneered cities and civilized arts. But Seth's firstborn and his successor's pioneer worship. Such is the great contrast between the two seeds, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Those who belong to the seed of the serpent live only for themselves. They live for their own glory. But those who belong to the seed of the woman live for the Lord and for His glory and we heard the Apostle John sketch out that contrast in John, 1 John chapter 3 when he said, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. For whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the seed of the serpent. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning but the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil and so no one born of god makes a practice of sinning for god's seed the seed of the woman god's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of god at that time people began to call upon the name of the lord god intervenes and he works revival amongst his people, that God's people would see begin now again to, to call upon him as God's people, as a, as a corporate people. This is the line of Seth. This is the line that leads to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the line into which you and I have been incorporated by way of adoption. By nature, congregation, we are Cainites. By nature, we are of the likes of Lamech. By nature, we value the same things that the sons of Lamech valued, cultural progress and and defiance against God, living in our own strength. By the grace of God, as we heard in our assurance of pardon, God has transferred us out of that kingdom, that city of man, and has transferred us into the kingdom of His own beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we who are by nature Cainites, He makes by His Spirit to be Sethites. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He breaks through our hard hearts and works and to our hearts the desire to worship Him and to walk with Him as Seth's sons did. And so, through Seth, you could say God has begun again. The opening verse of chapter 5 almost read like a a restart, a, a new beginning. This is the book of the generations of Adam when God Created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. It's as if God is, is starting over. He is beginning again with the birth of Seth. Through Seth, God intervened and caused a new humanity to be born again or that he might be worshipped and praised aright. and So the birth of Seth we must see this morning is a great and glorious signpost on the way to victory. The birth of Seth was, was proof for Adam and Eve that God had not renabbed on His promise. The birth of Seth was the proof, the confirmation that God was keeping that mother promise. That it would be fulfilled that the seed of the woman was going to win. To be sure, Eve is still going to be the mother of the deceased. She is going to die and so are her children. And Genesis 5 is somewhat like a cemetery in that way, isn't it? That resounding phrase, we hear it again and again and again and he lived this many days and he died, he lived this many days and he died, and he died, and he died. We hear that resounding message through Genesis chapter 5. And yet Eve is still the mother of the living. For through Seth, God is paving the way once again to life and life everlasting. Through Seth, the grace of God is, is breaking through And causing his people to experience something of that new life, that everlasting life already in the present as right worship is restored. As people begin to to call upon the name of the Lord, they once again get a taste of that life of communion and and fellowship with God that Eve knew so well in the garden. For whereas Lamech, was the seventh from Adam through Cain, who was the seventh from Adam through Seth. The seventh from Adam through Seth, we discover in verse 21, was Enoch, a man who in the starkest of contrast to Lamech, walked with God. Enoch walked with God so intimately, in fact, that At the spry Old Testament age of 365 years old, God took him, and he was no more. By faith, says the author of Hebrews, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Godliness, you could say, reached new heights during the days of Enoch. Enoch walked with God, an expression that, that indicates fellowship and, and communion. He walked with him. It's, think of how the, the form for marriage, for example, speaks of the way in which a, a husband and wife travel life together. They walk together as, as one flesh and in union with each other. And this is the imagery we get of Enoch here in Genesis chapter 5. Enoch, the seventh from Adam through Seth, lives in communion and fellowship with the Lord his God. He knew something of that joyful communion that, that Adam and Eve knew before in the garden. He got a real taste of that. Enoch shared God's goals. He lived to do God's will. The epistle of Jude tells us throughout Enoch's life, he prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. By walking with God by faith, Enoch lived in light of the antithesis. He lived in light of that dividing line, knowing that friendship with the world was enmity against God. Like us, he, he lived among the lamex. But he did not live like the lamex. For Enoch wanted to live with God, and so he did. And so he did until suddenly he was not, for God took him and he did not see death. By the spirit of the seed of the woman that abided in him, Enoch walked with God. And it's quite amazing to think about it, congregation, because on what basis or in what manner, how did Enoch do that? Imagine having your hands a Bible that began with Genesis 1 verse 1 and ended with Genesis that's all Enoch had. Knowledge of the creation, knowledge of the fall, knowledge of the promise. Enoch didn't have the historical books or the prophets. He didn't have the gospels or the acts of Christ. He didn't have the epistles. He didn't have Hebrews that were told that it's in Jesus that we can draw near to God. He didn't have revelation. The assurance that Christ has not only already come but that he is coming again in glory. He walked with God in light of the promise that the seed of the woman was coming to crush the seed of the serpent. And so Enoch likewise stands as he had another signpost along the way to Christ. A signpost of the life that can be found in God and in him alone. This congregation is how those belonging to the line of Seth ought to live. This is how we ought to live. Making the song of Psalm 73 the song of our own lives until... Jesus comes in glory nevertheless saying, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none on earth I desire besides you. To worship and walk with God. This congregation ought to be our chief aim and delight in this life. For God has opened the way for us to do so through His Son, the seed of the woman, or that we might be Eve's worshiping children. Eve's children are still divided, aren't they? Still the, the world and, and the church. But by the grace of God, we've been incorporated into the church to be Eve's worshiping children. Are you walking with the Lord this morning, congregation? God has said in the gospel of his son that we are no longer enemies, that we are as friends. Are are you living like God's friends? Are you open with him, hiding nothing from him? Are you walking with him? We have more than Genesis one through four. We have the whole of the Old and New Testament. The promise that Christ is coming again. Are we walking with Him? How can we not? How can we not walk with Him when we know the words of the psalm, to live apart from Him is death. It is good His face to seek. Our refuge is the living God whose praise we ought long to speak. Indeed, congregation Eve's hopeful confession is is our hopeful confession that God has appointed a greater replacement for Abel whom Cain killed. The serpent thought he won the battle with him as well. But God raised him up from the dead for our justification. And so his blood speaks a far better word, doesn't it? This is the good news of the gospel people of God, that this Christ who came from the line of Seth, who was born in the flesh, is coming again to complete the work that he has begun, to bring us all the way to glory that we might walk with him in unhindered fellowship forever. And so we join Adam and Eve and we join the Sethites throughout the ages in saying, come Thou long-expected Jesus, born to set Thy people free from our sins and fears us. Let us find our rest in Thee, for we know that rest is found in no one else. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before You again acknowledging our sin and misery. Acknowledging, Lord, that we are by nature canites, we are by, by nature of the likes of Lamech, and that in this divide that runs throughout the world, the antithesis, by nature, we belong to the camp marked as enemies of God. And yet, in your saving grace, you have intervened. But just as your grace broke through with the birth of Seth, so too has your grace broken through in our own hard hearts. In your grace, you have given us a delight to do your will, a delight to worship you, and a desire to walk with you. Lord, cause us to live as the Sethites, as those who belong to the seed of the woman. Continue, Lord, to foster greater fervency in that desire to walk with you. We might know you and commune with you. Cause us to be Eve's worshiping children. We worship with that assurance that even though we die, yet shall we live. Because the seed of the woman has conquered sin and Satan and death. And paved the way to everlasting life. We pray that you would apply these things to our hearts and to our lives, oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.